0: good morning everyone my name is tom sylvia i am the associate pastor here normally each week it is pastor john preaching for us but occasionally i get john gives me the privilege and the honor and i'm grateful to take it so if you have your bible we'll be continuing in our series in the book of mark chapter 12 that is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. So go ahead and turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, then there's a hardback blue Bible in one of the seatbacks in front of you. Feel free to use that. We're going to be on page 1009 in that Bible. We'll also have the scripture on the screens. So per our tradition here at Eshore, if you would stand with me as we read, if you are able, God's word. So again, we'll be in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. I'll be reading from the ESV, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart with all, your, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You can be seated. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love. We just sung so many songs of your love, and Lord, we are grateful. So, Father, our prayer this morning is that you would help us love you more, that you would help us, Lord, to where we just think about your love all the time that your love is our strength that your love is what is just moving us forward to serve you help us lord to think on your love to know your love and to be changed by your love help us to obey the greatest commandment to love you with every part of our being and to love our neighbors with that same love. Lord, we give you this time and we thank you for your words. Teach us this morning what you would have us to know. Amen. So I'm going to tell you at the outset, excuse me, for my goal for this sermon is for all of us all of us to be able to leave this morning to be able to say that we love God and that the love of God consumes us, and also for us to leave wanting to love Him more than what we do now, that we would not be content or satisfied with how much we love Him now, but we want to love Him more. That's my prayer for all of us and that is what i hope to accomplish through this text. so a couple of questions to start us off is what is your motivation for being a christian? what is your motivation for serving in the church? what what spurs you on to become more like christ? what spurs you to read your bible, to serve others? why do you want to pray, to fast? why is it that you want to forgive others and to be forgiven when you think about your faith what is it that brings you joy when you think about all the commands in the bible all of them what is the foundational reason that you seek to obey them and if you're here today and you're not a christian when you think about religion What one word would you use to describe it? When you think about the God of the Bible, the Bible itself, how would you describe the Bible? I contend to you today, perhaps, Mark, the author of the text we just read, contends to you today that the answer to all those questions that I just asked is love. Love. What is your motivation for serving in the church? Love. What is your motivation for being a Christian? Love. What brings you joy about your faith? Love. It is love. What motivates you to obey his commandments? Love. Why do we want to read our Bible? Why do we want to pray? Love. If if. Answering those initial questions I gave to you, and in your mind, you, you were more answering in the sense of duty, I do those things because I need to, because it is what God wants me to do, it is my Christian duty. Then I'm going to ask you this morning to reorient your thinking, because that is not the primary motivation. We do not work out of a sense of duty, we work out of a sense of love. I've heard many times someone say or encourage a fellow believer to engage in a personal daily quiet time. It'll be said something along the lines: "You've got to do your daily quiet time. You need to be in the Word daily. The first thing you do when you wake up, you get in the Word." And you're challenging people to do this, to devote that time to the Lord, guys. It is what we need to do as Christians to admonish and encourage one another to do just that. But if we give, the, if we prescribe this practice and we put on the person, it is a sense of duty. It is what we do. We are not prescribing it appropriately. We do not go to have a daily quiet time because, as obedient Christians, that's what we do. No, no, no. We go to have a daily quiet time because we get to. We get to experience the goodness of the Lord. We get to say, wow, God, you're talking to me. Look at your character of holiness. Look at your love for me. Look at what your son has done for me. Look at the glory you are getting. I want more of you. I don't do this because I must. I do this because the delight and joy that comes from it. Is your personal quiet time a sense of duty or an earnestness to know more about the God of love? How do you know the difference? Well, is your daily quiet time a checkbox, a means to an end, rather than an expectation to experience His love? Do not strip away the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. They are to be done in love. How many of us speak to our spouse out of a sense of duty? Or do you speak to them out of a sense of duty, or do you speak to them because you love them? You speak to them out of the sense of duty, your loved one's going to call you out. You'll be talking to them, and then all in the midst of the conversation, something will be like, you don't even want to be here right now. Your your mind's somewhere off. You're wandering somewhere off. Go, we'll come back at another time. You call them out. You want to talk to your spouse because you love them. The intimacy comes from the love. The same thing with our relationship with Christ, with God. It is out of love. We cannot forget the greatest commandment. Let me read it again. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So how are we going to handle this text today? We're going to have three points. First things we're going to do is we're going to remind ourselves. We're going to remind ourselves why we love God. That's what we're going to do first. Then we're going to remind ourselves the joy of loving God. And then we're going to lastly look at the overflow that comes from loving God. So let's begin with the first one. Let's remind ourselves Why we love God? It's honestly quite remarkable that the God of the universe, His greatest requirement or His greatest law, is not to submit to Him, it's not to serve Him, it's not to pay homage to Him, or anything like of the like. His greatest requirement, the greatest commandment, is to love Him. That is insane. For God to make such a command and to hold us accountable to obey this command, to enact justice on us, if we fail to obey this command, then two things are required or or implied by this very command. The first thing that's implied, that's inherently required in this command, is that God himself is lovable. Okay, God's saying, love me and he is in himself lovable. The second thing required in this command is that the love is not forced, but it's given. Those two things are a must for this command to be a legitimate command. So let's look at them. I'm not giving them necessarily any import level of importance by uh, going with any particular order. A couple of months ago, let me give you an analogy through a movie. A couple of months ago, this movie Super Mario Brothers came out. I watched it. I very much enjoyed it. And if you haven't seen the movie, that's okay. Just replace uh, the, the Phantom of the Opera with the analogy I'm about to give. Similar plot line between the two. In the Super Mario Brother movie, essentially you have Bowser, who is this evil turtle, and he is going to con- conquer Princess Peach's kingdom. And really, the reason why he, reason all he's doing this for is to marry Princess Peach. You know, and he has this funny song that Brother Dan sang at VBS, where he's just like, Peaches, 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 because he's so in love with Princess Peach. And all he wanted was to marry this princess. And so he's conquering all these lands, and he's like, I'm going to come conquer your land, Princess Peach. And she's like, no, don't do that. Well, okay, I won't do it under one condition. What's that? You marry me. Oh, okay, I'll I'll agree to marry you so that I can save my kingdom. No harm will come. Spoiler alert, Mario and Luigi save the day. They defeat Bowser in his evil scheme, and the kingdom is saved. That's the the summary of the movie. Bowser loved Peach, but Peach, or if we even say Bowser loved Peach, but Peach did not love Bowser. Therefore, he tried to force her to love him. Guess what? It never worked. She loved her people and was going to subject herself to this evil protagonist because of the love of people, not for the love of him. She was going to subject herself to imprisonment. You cannot force people's feelings to change, nor can you force love. It's an oxymoron. It's not possible. If anything, the command to love me and just to force people to do that would be a great burden, and it would just go totally beside the point that he wanted to accomplish in the first place. In addition, there's nothing in Bowser. He is totally evil. That's the point of his character, to never get along. He's not lovable. He can't be loved by Peach. Is God lovable? If he's not lovable, then he'll never be the object of love. And if God forces us to love him, then he'll never receive love. So, it does God meet these requirements to warrant such a command as the great commandment, to love God with all that you are. I will say yes, an astounding yes. So we're going to start first saying, is God lovable? Is God lovable? 1 John 4, verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. God does not love all of creation, nor is love one of his attributes, but the Bible says that God is love itself. It is his very nature What else do we learn from the book of John? That love is from God. This means that all of our love, our ability to love, the giving of our love, whenever we love, that love does not come from ourselves. It comes from God. The love did not originate in any one of us, but has come to us from the Father. We love God. Because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19. When a parent sees their newborn baby for the first time, what do they do? They smile. They cry tears of joy. They embrace their newborn child, and they just smile and say, I love you. I love you. What did that child do to earn that parent's love? Nothing. Nothing. How does that child learn how to love? How does that child learn how to love others? Where does that child get this love from? Ultimately from the father, but from the parents. The parents teach their children how to love, and they're able to love in return. The same is true with us. All of our love is from God. Look, Why, why does God love us to begin with? What, what, what in us merits God's love for us? It, the answer is nothing. Let me read some verses to you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, talking about Israel. It was not because you, Israel, were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Israel, there's nothing about you that I'm choosing you as a nation over any of these other nations. I am simply choosing you because I love. I love. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I had continued my faithfulness to you. Where does God's love spring for his love towards us? It comes from Himself from everlasting to everlasting way in eternity past. He loved us, you. There was nothing in us. Ephesians 1, 4-5. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will God simply loves us out of his very being he is directing his love to us why because by nature God is love he loves us so whenever we learn whenever we love or when we for that matter when anyone loves another where did they learn it from how did all of us learn how to love how did all of us love in general the whole world the answer is that love comes from god god is the author and the teacher of all true love so is god lovable absolutely he is In fact, it's quite an enigma that anyone chooses not to love God since he is the source of all love. And he is, by definition, the most lovable being in all the universe. So the fact that we don't love him just speaks to how great our sin is. God is lovable, but does God force us to love him? Well, again, the answer is no because he wants us to truly love him you cannot force this love no one in this room can fabricate this love towards God God will not force you to love him and in turn we cannot force ourselves to love God that is performance that's not going to work okay so then what do we do how do we love God how does this happen well first you need to pray you need to pray to say, God, get, help me to love you. Help me to love you. The other thing you need to do is you have to understand the gospel. You have to know the gospel and know what God done for you. And by knowing the gospel, you will see how much he loved you. And in turn, you will love him. Listen to God's love. Listen to, God's love, listen to the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. You see, all humanity is trapped. All of us, we are enslaved in sin. What is sin? What is sin? Sin is the transgression, the breaking of the law of God. It is a great evil that defines each and every one of us. Everyone in this room is conscious of this fact that we are sinners. You have broken God's law and you know you have. How many of us have ever felt guilt or shamed or have condemned ourselves when we have done something wrong that we know we ought not to have done? How many of us have felt remorse, internal struggle when we have failed to do what we ought to have done? That's sin. How many of us can describe our immoral acts that we have committed? That's sin. Sin plagues every chamber of our heart and darkens every cavity of our being. Sin ruins all that it touches. And there is not one spot in, on any of us that has not been stained by its presence. We are enslaved. Slave is an intentional word that the Bible uses. We are trapped by sin. There's no getting out. Everyone in this room right now, you are free to get up and to walk out those doors. I am free to stop preaching right now and to leave. You are free to ignore me, to go to sleep. You have that ability to choose, but you know what? You do not have the ability to choose to get out of your sin. You have no freedom to forsake or to leave your sin. That is totally outside of your ability. We are bound to sin. Sin is our master. We're dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead. Replace you with your name. And you were dead. And I, Tom, was dead in my trespasses and sins in which I once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, I once lived, if you're a Christian, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is our state of affairs. It is awful. What happens? What is the gospel? Romans 5:8. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while Ephesians 2:1 through3 was true for us, while we were in that state, Christ died for us. while you were dead. While you were enslaved to your sin, following the prince of the power of the air, while you were following the schemes of Satan, it was in that state that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. God shows us his love. What is love? Love willfully and joyfully gives itself. What did God do? He gave himself. He didn't just wish love upon us. He sent himself. He died himself. He paid the price of our sins himself. Love is the willing, the willful and joyful giving of oneself. God is love, willingly and joyfully giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay for our penalty. God chose to demonstrate his love for us, his love for you, by being beaten for you, for me. God chose to demonstrate his love for each one of us by being mocked. He demonstrated his love by offering up his son on a cross as a sacrificial offering to atone for our sins. God... Demonstrates his love to each and every one of us by offering his son. His son was on the cross, and his son took on our sin, my sin, your sin. And guess what happens? Guess what must happen to sin? It must be eternally punished. What is hell? It is the display of God's wrath and eternal justice. And so the son is like, I will take it for them. That is love. If anything, God is not forcing us to love him in the slightest bit. Instead, he is screaming and proclaiming, I love you. Come to me. Leave this pit of sin and come. Come here, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I have redeemed you. Come, come to me, your Father. We need to accept it. Accept that gift. Honestly, for God to do all that he has, why in the world would anyone not want to love him? Why would anyone not want to experience this love? We get married to experience the love of another. Why would we not want to get drowned and drenched in the love of God? Why would we not want to be changed by this eternal love that God will eternally only ever give and give more and more and more? That's why we're Christians. We are Christians because we are consumed by the love of God that he has towards us. His love has overwhelmed us. We run to the scriptures to experience his love, to know more about his love, to say, wow, you've loved me in this way too? I need to know more. We run to God in prayer because we know of his love. Oh, I know you love me and you're going to hear me and you want to hear me? Oh, Lord get to talk to you more we stand firm in Christ we don't waver against the world because we are protected by his love we don't rest on our own insecurities but we rest on the security of his love we don't complain about God's commands as if they're a burden no we are overjoyed by them that in his love he is protecting us that we get to serve him more that he is protecting us from evil and our sin. God, your greatest commandment is for me to love you? Oh, thank you, Lord. This is amazing. There is no burden in this command. In fact, I'm not even sure it's a command at all. Your spouse says, I need you to love me. <laughs> okay, done. Our, where's the work? What a loving God we serve. We serve must not forget the gospel. We must remind ourselves about the gospel each and every day. And if we do this appropriately, if we meditate on God's love towards us, we cannot help but be comforted and conformed into the image and likeness of his son. If the love of God is your foundation, then defeating your sin gets a whole lot easier. Doing your daily devotions just got a whole lot more interesting, engaging, and it actually is fulfilling and changing you what you want your devotions to do. Loving others becomes a joy. All of this becomes true if you love God, and the love of God is your motivation. That's the gospel. That's biblical Christianity. That's why God gives us the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's all consuming. Let's now look and remind ourselves okay, we're doing this. We now know, we see why we love God. Let's now look at the joys of loving God. There's many subpoints that can exist under this heading, but I'm going to have to limit myself to one, and that is freedom. The joy of loving God is freedom. Freedom from performance, freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety. it is pure freedom. It's ironic that it's a scribe that Jesus that, that asked Jesus this question and because what is a scribe a scribe spends most of their time studying the scriptures that in that time it was the old testament they were the authorities on the interpretation of old testament thought so if a jew had a question they would say hey scribe what does how does how should i interpret or understand this old testament scripture okay the scribes elaborated they told them what it meant so that's why the following section Jesus then begins to ask a question about the scribes' interpretation of the Messiah in verses 35 through 37. Then immediately in verses 38 through 40, Jesus says, Beware of who? The scribes. And what are the scribes doing? What are they known to do? They're known to perform. To act religious. They put forward these outward performances. And the people know it. But their hearts are far, far from God. Scribes are in the context. They're at the center. Why? Because scribes are hypocrites. They act. They do not love. God wants us to love. Now check. Now this is. this. God doesn't need our personal or sacrificial offerings. He needs our heart. He needs your devotion. And now look at what makes us so much better that God gives us the command to love him. And it's based on love and not our performances. If God based this command to love him was based on our acts, our personal works, this is what would essentially go like. Have you ever seen in the movies and there's an evil henchman he has all these henchmen underneath him and he sends one of them, hey, go and accomplish this against the good guy. And they go and try and do this thing against the good guy, but guess what? The good guy beats the henchman, and the henchman goes back and has to deliver that bad news to the evil warlord. They come before and they're like, sir, I tried to accomplish this, but man, that, that good guy's just too good. He's, he outwitted me. He beat me, and I failed you. What is that? How does that evil warlord respond? Well, in some cases, they get slapped and mocked in front of all the other henchmen. In many of the movies, just to portray how evil it is, usually the man will have him killed. So when the henchman approaches him in the first place, it's fear and trembling. He's not excited to give the good news to the evil warlord because his performance failed and he was going to be punished. That's the, uh, that's the god of performance. But our God doesn't do that. He says love. And when love's the foundation, check out the same situation. But now let's put it as if love was foundational. What happens? Well, the evil henchman, there is no evil henchman in this case. The man walks up to the master. Shame, guilt, head low. Master, I failed. I sinned. I... uh, I went against your holiness, your rules, your command, your law. I'm sorry. The father, God sees him. There is no making fun of this man. There is no condemning this man. Instead, the father comes up to him and says, lift up your head, son, daughter. It's okay. I love you. I absolutely love you. I bought your sin. I paid sin's price. And I know When you failed, it hurt. I know you're feeling guilt and shame. I know you don't even want to do it again. You don't have to have guilt and shame. I've covered it. And you know what? We're going to get through this together. I'm going to now help you. Let's go journey and do this again with me beside you. Love. A loving father. Child, cheer up. I'm here. I love you. The greatest words a son or daughter could hear. Freedom. Performance is gone. Worry or anxiety, when you fall, gone. You can approach God with confidence and rest secure in his love. In Christ, we have eternal security. That is, once we are saved, we are always saved. And this doctrine is true because salvation is based on love and not works. God is not out to get you. God does not follow the law of karma, but the law of Christ, the law of love. That is the joy of loving God. And once you have this figured out, you will be set free. True freedom is true joy. A.W. Pink, a pastor about 100 years ago, says the better we are acquainted with his love, God's love, its character, its fullness, its blessedness, the more our hearts will be drawn out in love to him. Oh, love, God, it is a joyful command and a joyful thing to do. So now we need to to begin to look at the next great commandment, and the second greatest commandment is the overflow of the first commandment. Let's just quickly look at the overflow that comes from loving God. If you get the first commandment right, everything else falls into place. Thomas Boston, a Puritan. All true obedience is the fruit of love to God, and wherever love prevails in the heart there will be a sincere respect to God's commandments, to his word, his ordinances, and institutions. From loving God comes the second commandment. The second is this. Let's read it again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Once again, this commandment is based on love and not actions. You get love right, proper actions follow. This second commandment is dependent on the first because you cannot love God and, you, and not love your neighbor. It doesn't work. If you love God, you love your neighbor. Additionally, how much you love your neighbor tells you, tells the world how much you love God. How does this work? Well, I'm, and in explaining how this works, I'm also going to answer this question. What does it mean to love my neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? So let's look at this. Remember what we read, 1 John 4, 7. Let me read it again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. The scriptures are telling us that our ability to love it all comes from God. So when we are loving, when we are loving others, That love that we're loving others with is the same love we received from God. It is not ours. It is God's. And if we are learning, gaining, receiving our love from God, then what love do we have to give? We have God's love to give. Not from ourselves. One kind of love. God is love. No other kind. It's God. So the love we receive from him is the love we give to others. That is why there's no such thing as someone saying, oh, I love God, I absolutely love him, and then they forget the second commandment. It doesn't work. Because what does God's love do? It goes out. God's love does not stay within himself. It goes out. It joyfully and willingly gives So receiving God's love results in an outflow of godly love towards others. You cannot keep God's love all to yourself. You would not want that. It's not possible. You want it to flow. You want it to go out. Because the more you give away, I've said this before, the more of it you will have. So when we go to love others, what does it mean to love others? What does the second great commandment mean? How do you follow? How do you obey this commandment? It means you're to love your neighbor the way God loves you. That's why we need to learn about God's love. Because by learning about his love, we now know what his love does. So we can then love others that way. Remember whenever I said that the joy of loving God is freedom? What does does God's love do towards us? It provides us freedom. So then how should we love our neighbors? Well, remember, God doesn't condemn us. He doesn't rub in our guilt and shame in our faces. He doesn't hold on to our mistakes. He doesn't use these things as leverage against us. So we don't do that to our neighbors either. We don't let them just sulk in their guilt and shame. We don't belittle them for their sins or their miseries. We come down and we help them out of it. What does God do for you? He forgave. How did he forgive you? Remember, you were dead in your sins. You were following the course of this world, the principality of the air. So what do we do? What does it mean to love others? When they sin against us, we forgive them. Oh, it hurt. We know. But we forgive them because we have God's love. We've been forgiven. We don't discriminate Based on others' sins. We don't judge others because God's love didn't do that to us. So we love others. God's love is sacrificial. So, how do we love others? We sacrifice for them. God's love gives of himself. So, to love others, we give of ourselves. You want to know how better to love your neighbor? Just go and study the Sermon on the Mount. Martin Lloyd Jones he summarizes the sermon on the mount. Sermon on the mount is nothing but a great elaboration on the commandment to love one another even as he has loved us. The the, the second the command to love your neighbor is not a burden. But in fact it is a great honor. It is a joy to fulfill and obey. To have this command and to be able to fulfill it is a great grace that God has granted to each and every one of us. I have two ways. One, it's a great grace because we get to be recipients of our neighbor's love. The greatest joy we can have is to be loved by God. And remember, when we are recipients from our Brotherly love. Guess what love that love came from? It came from God. So we're once again receiving an extension of God's love. Oh, we want all the love of God we can get. Added joy. And then the first way is you're a recipient. Guess what? The second way is you get to give God's love. Remember that old axiom it's better to give than to receive. We literally get to give, willfully and joyfully give away the love of God towards others. Prior to Christ, we could never do that. Not in a million years think of even doing that. And now, because of Christ, we can love others with his love. God's like, hey, take my love. Go change be yourself, change, and then go show others what this love does. Go experience this joy of love and then go experience of giving it away. Because when you're giving away God's love, that is what love most naturally does. That's its fullest experience. Now, here's the critique as we close. Here's the critique. You often it'll be, well, you don't, you don't. I'm just thinking of these examples. You don't know my spouse. You know, they're not loving like that. You don't know uh, Jim Bob in this church. He, he's, ooh, he's a tough one. He makes it very difficult. I, I want to stay away from him as much as I can. They need to be listening to this sermon right now because they need to be loving and getting their act together. That's, that's what Jim Bob needs. We don't wait for another person to begin acting correctly to love them. We follow the standard given by Christ, and we begin to love them now. You know, like, oh, they, they, don't, they don't get it exactly. God's love gives it regardless. You want to change your marriage? Begin to love your spouse with the love of God. You want to change your own heart? Then begin to love your neighbor. Experience the fullness of love. You want to change the hearts here in this church? Begin to love your brothers and sisters as God has loved you. You want to change this community? You want to see the community to change and to love Christ and to love God and to fully worship Him? Then we need to take every advantage we can of every opportunity we can to love them, to show, to say, oh, I get to love you with God's love. Have you been, you want to use this two kingdoms analogy with a friend or a coworker or a family? It got it's got to have God's love. Why? Why? Why is this so pivotal? What changed you? You were not changed by information. You were not changed by something within yourself. You're not changed by your own thoughts. You were changed by God's love. God's love changes. So you want to improve, you want to change your relationships into Christ's likeness You have to love with God's love. That's the only thing that can do it. The love of God will destroy the thickest wall of pride the heart has ever seen. We love because God loves us. The text this morning presented us with two commandments. The greatest and then the second. So our challenge this morning is to remind ourselves of God's love. You remind yourself of God's love directed towards you. That you are the object of of God's unfailing, immutable, eternal, ever giving love. Never forget that. Never get tired of it. Seek to know something new about it every day. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The second challenge. Find those opportunities to let the love of God overflow. Find those opportunities to get to pour out his love towards your neighbor. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. You seen the connection? This, this, this next verse. By this, All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the challenge. Love God, love your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, you loved us. You have loved us since eternity past. Before, Lord, there was... Even a star in the galaxy, in the universe, before the earth was formed, before the waters covered the face of the earth, before there was even darkness, you loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, we only know in part what this means. And Father, our prayer is that you consume us with your love. Lord, may, may our very being, may all of our, our heart, our mind, our strength, our understanding, all that is within us, Lord, be consumed by your love. Lord, we needed your love for salvation, and we need your love now. Lord, help us all to leave this room wanting to love you more, needing to love you more, desiring to love you more. And Lord, help us to understand the joy of pouring out your love towards others. Lord, whoever's here that doesn't believe in you, Lord, that is hardened by sin, Lord, we just pray that your love overwhelms them that their sin would be defeated by your gospel. And Lord, that they would repent, regenerate them, make them be born anew for your glory and we can celebrate the love you have directed towards us. While we were sinners, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. Amen.